Okay, so I'm glad you're here. Uh, there's a lot of things that I want to talk about today, um, and I want to begin with the, um, with the notion of identity theft. Identity theft is a, a very big uh, issue in today's society. Um, people, uh, through um, the internet and whatnot, they steal your social security number, and then they can tap into your accounts and all sorts of things. I found out that, uh, I just saw a headline, that a, a new form of this, a variation of it, is that People who have young children, one of, the, one of the first things that you do when you have a child is you register them for a social security card. And normally speaking, you don't, you don't check into your child's social security card probably for 10, 20 years because there's no reason to. You know, the child's not working or anything like that. So a lot of people find social security numbers of children and then they feed off of those because they know that they're not going to be checked on. Anyway, so there's all sorts of um, identity theft going on. But on a more spiritual level, and uh, maybe a more um, problematic level, there's all sorts of identity theft going on with God himself. In other words, there are people who are masquerading and concepts that are masquerading as God in this world that really aren't God. And yet they're presenting themselves as God. And I'm not really talking so much about other religions right now. What I'm talking about is the very concept of God himself, as we understand it. Um, and so I want to I go into this, because there's, this, is a very, this is a very difficult thing. You see, there's a story. Someone uh, went up to a Hasidic Rebbe. I wish I could tell you which, which Rebbe it was. And he starts telling this Rebbe um, all the reasons why he doesn't believe in God. He says, I, he says, I don't believe in God for this reason, and I don't believe in God for that reason, and I don't believe in God for this reason. And you know, the Rebbe hears him, and he goes, you know something? I also don't believe in God. And the man is shocked, right? And he says, Rebbe, you don't believe in God? And the Rebbe says back to him, yeah, the God that you don't believe in, I also don't believe in. In other words, this person has such a false concept of what God is, and the Rebbe agrees. You know what? If that were really God, I wouldn't believe in him. I wouldn't believe in him either. So, so the, the 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 importance is to understand who God is, what God is, because all of us are walking around with this false concept of what God is, and then we get angry at God. But you know, it's 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 a little bit unfair to God. Right? And people want to explain them away in all sorts of things. Why, why, you know, there's a book, and I didn't read it, but this is what I heard, so I, I'm, I'm trusting that what I'm about to say is accurate. There's a book, Why Do Good Things, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Right? So I heard that one of the explanations, or maybe the main explanation that's given, is that God doesn't want these bad things to happen, but He's powerless on some level to stop them. I reject that. I reject that. Orthodox Judaism, Torah, Torah Judaism, rejects that concept. Because you can't have an all-powerful God who's like, ah, I, I wish I could change it. I wish I could. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. And anyone who's being intellectually honest with themselves and understands the concept of the... or, or tries to begin to uh, understand the, the concept of the infinity of God can't, can't abide by that as an explanation. 
So why am I bringing it up right now? Because there's some people who want to explain God, but they're explaining God in a way that it's sort of like trying to put, you know, a happy package on God. But, but, the, but, but if it's not true, then, then that doesn't work either, right? So, so, so we've got to know what the truth is. And we've got to accept the fact that God is good. And we've got to accept the, 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 the fact that we are ultimate, ultimately, as much as we have a soul, which is a piece of God, which is a piece of infinity within us, so as much as we have an aspect of infinity, we are ultimately finite creatures compared to God. Compared to God. Which means that we have to accept as a premise that there are certain things that we can't grasp. And we've got to trust in the foundation that God is good. That's one of the absolute foundations of Judaism. God is one. God is good. God is involved in every aspect of our lives. And God loves us to pieces. Right? That, it's so important. You know, I was talking to someone and, and you know, you see, you see, ultimately, the you see, the Torah is very, very positive because, because the world is very, very positive. God himself testifies to this. In the beginning, he says, he says that the world is good. Right? I created, and this is good, and this is good, and this is good, and this is good. If you look at the beginning of the account of creation, God keeps on calling his creation good. And, of course, God himself is good. Now, why is this important? You know, I once, I once was talking with someone or I was once thinking, I was at sort of like a um, highbrow party, you know, after college. And um, I saw a lot of unhappy people. And I thought to myself, you know something? Um, depth is the consolation for the unhappy. You know, a lot of unhappy people are walking around and they're, they're consoling themselves by saying, do you know why I'm so unhappy? Because I'm so deep. Right? But the reality is, is that if a person is really deep, they, they connect with the ultimate truth of the world, which is that there's a happy ending. You see, and then some people want to disparage that and call that point of view unsophisticated. Right? Because who are you? Who are you to be an optimist? <laughs> How dare you be an optimist? How dare you think that there's a happy ending? That, means, that, that can only mean one thing, you're an idiot. <laughs> right? But, it's, but what if there is a happy ending? And we say there is a happy ending. So then the ability, when times are tough, to see the fact that there is a happy ending, all of a sudden, that's a, that you're a warrior. I mean, you, you are accomplishing something very, very great. And, and, and even better, you're actually right. So, do you mind closing the door? Yeah. So, so, um, so, so this is important. It's important that, that we understand that, that there is a happy ending and that that doesn't come from a lack of sophistication. <laughs> But, again, getting back to this point about just trying to understand who God is and what God is, okay? And the obstacles that stand in our way. So we're going to talk about some of the obstacles that stand in our way. 
and, uh, and get into that a little bit. All right. Now, I just want to say that in general, for, for the points I'm about to make, but a person just has to understand this in general, if you want to advance in, in wisdom, basically, if you want to advance in Torah, if you want to advance in wisdom, if you want to advance in life, if you want to advance in spirituality, if you want to advance in, in what we call Yeshuvah uh, Das, uh, a settled mind, and Menuchas HaNefesh, a, a soul that's at, in a tranquil state, right? If you want to achieve these things, one must integrate these teachings into their lives, which means that one must think about them. You have to think about these things. You see, you see like, I, I'm going to give you two examples. Um, you know, imagine there's a, 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 a rushing river, and it's rushing, rushing, rushing in this one direction. Now imagine just not too far from there, off to the side, there's a very dry field. Now that dry field is parched, it needs water, right? But the river is rushing, rushing, rushing in this direction, and it's not watering the field, right? So that is a lot of us and our thought process, which is that, you know, we're thinking, 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 and our, 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 our minds are racing, and they're taking us in the wrong direction. Meanwhile, we, we, need that, we need that water, we need that thought, we need that consolation to water this field, and it's like, what good is it, right? Because the field is parched, the field is dry. So how are we going to get the water, which is rushing so strongly in this direction, to the field? So, you know, if there's a very strong current, it's kind of hard to redirect it, because it's so fixed in this one pattern of movement, right? So you understand the problem, right? So the, the point is, is that it's not easy. It requires work. It requires work. And it requires an ongoing monitoring of your thoughts and, and encouragement and everything like that. And in knowledge, you see, if you say to someone, you know what? Come on, you can write a masterpiece. Yeah, you can write a masterpiece. So the person sits down and it's like, well, I didn't write a masterpiece. You made it sound like it was so easy. Now I'm really depressed and discouraged. But you know something? If a person, maybe the person can write a masterpiece. But you know something? The person has to, at the beginning of the journey, understand the amount of work that goes into it. Otherwise, they're not being realistic. So a person has to understand that if they're going to redirect their thoughts, if they're going to take that rushing river and redirect it to the parched field, that they have to understand that this requires quite a bit of work. Quite a bit of work. Now, I'll give you another example. Another example is this. Imagine you order food at a restaurant. And you're going to do a takeout order. Okay? So you order this sandwich and that sandwich and this soup, right? And this salad, right? It's all good. You call it in. You drive up to the restaurant. You get out of your car. They've got the whole order ready for you in a package. You give them your credit card. You pay for it. And then you get back into your card without the food and you drive home. Right? So that's the equivalent of coming to a class or a talk. Right? You come to get the food. You pay for the food with your time. And then you go home without the food. What are you doing? What are you doing? So this is what it means to go over the thoughts. To go over the thoughts. Because you're not going to get the benefit of these type of things unless all you're getting is tools here. 
That's all you're getting is tools. And then the question is, you know, so now I have a hammer. Okay, so now I have to use the hammer. The hammer is not going to fix, it's not going to hang the picture in my house. I'm going to fix, I'm going to hang, I'm going to hang the picture with the hammer. So in other words, our involvement is required on an ongoing basis. That's the point. Okay. So now let's get back to this idea of trying to understand who God is and what God is and trying to figure out what some of the obstacles standing in our way of, of achieving that realization. Because we, can, we, already cut to the end of the, we already cut to the end of the talk. We already know what the end is. God is good. That's what God is. God is good. See, one more point. I heard this from Rabbi Green. It's very, very important. You see, one cannot understand what the Torah is saying unless you fix your mitos. Let me explain what that means. To fix your mitos, it means to, to correct and to refine your personality. Until one has a refined, corrected personality, they cannot understand what the verses of the Torah are saying. We make a mistake. We think all you need is brain power. If I have brain power and I concentrate, then there's a direct correlation between my proper understanding and my level of concentration and brain power. It's not true. It's not true. Okay? You can be really smart and come up with really dumb things. Okay? It happens all the time. Believe me. <laughs> Have you heard something, something called communism? <laughs> a lot of smart people came up with communism. Doesn't work. Okay? So, so, so the point is, the point is, is that when one, when one rectifies their personality, one can see what the Torah is actually saying. One has to be a nice person. To be a nice person. Be a positive, you have to understand, it's a, oh, that God is good. That everything in the Torah is meant for the good. Right? That God is not some vindictive creature standing over us with a whip waiting to zap us for the smallest mistake that we make. Right? We've got to get rid of all that junk out of our head. Okay? Okay, so now, so now let's go to this week's Parsha. So it says, Re'e Anochi. See that I, Anochi, see that I am placing before you a blessing and the other side, right? Right? The, the consequences for, for one not going along the proper path, right? Also, it's translated here as curses. It's not a Torah word. It's like a really icky English word, so we're not going to use it. We'll say consequences or, 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 or not blessings, right? But, um, so this idea, I want to zero in right now on these first two words, Re'eh Anochi. See that I, Anochi here, is a very, very charged, significant word in Torah. Anochi means I, like as in me, right? But Anochi, in this context, means Hashem. Hashem is, 
is allowing us to see that he's putting before us every single day, which means every single moment, a blessing and, and the other side. The consequences for not, for not going along the path. Okay? So, Anochi is, is a very special term that Hashem uses to describe himself. And we know it's special because when Hashem gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai, the very first word of the Ten Commandments is Anochi Hashem Elokecha. Hashem refers to himself as Anochi. You know, at that most significant of moments. And remember what the, what the Kabbalists say, that, that see, the, the, the sort of the standard way of understanding it, um, the way the Gomorrah explains it, is that Hashem spoke the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments, right? The first one being a positive commandment, the second one being a, a, uh, a prohibition. In other words, a thou shalt was first, and thou shalt not was second, and that those encompassed, those two utterances, encompassed all of the positive commandments and all the negative commandments, right? So it was like a microcosm, right? But then I heard from Reb Shlomo, he says, an even deeper shot is actually that Hashem only spoke the word Anochi, I, and that everything was contained within Anochi. And then he says the deepest shot is that Hashem just pronounced the letter Aleph of the word Anochi and that everything was contained in that. Now that's far out for the reason that the letter Aleph is silent. <laughs> so the fact that Hashem pronounced a silent letter and that everything was contained within that is really, that's a way out thought. And by the way, I gave a whole talk on that. If you want to hear it, it's called Pronouncing the Unpronounceable. And there's some, there's some like, cool ideas in that if you want to check that out. So anyway, so, so the point is like this, that Hashem refers to himself as Enochi. So now, let's go back to this thing. It says, see that I, Anochi, see that I am placing before you today a blessing and the consequences for not, for not following. Okay? So the first thing that Hashem is really asking, if we zero in and hone in, is God is asking you to see Him. You have to behold God. Now that's challenging. That's challenging. It's challenging because we can't see God. God has no form, has no physicality. As I like to tell my children, God doesn't have a body. God makes bodies, right? So God is beyond, beyond, beyond. And we tend to think of God as a bigger, stronger, smarter, better version of ourselves. It's no. God is beyond, 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 right? But the problem is, is that, okay, before we get into the problems, let's get the thought out first. So, how do we see God? Because on the one hand, God is completely invisible, right? There's no physicality to Him. Where is He? You can't see Him. On the other hand, you can't open up your eyes without seeing God. Because He fills the entire universe. Right? And beyond. And beyond. So, you know, I always like to share. One time I thought of a conversation between two fish. One fish says to the other, do you believe in water? Right? And the other fish says back, I don't know if I believe in water. My grandfather was very religious. He believed in water. Right? So what's the joke? 
The joke is there's nothing but water. But because you're surrounded by it completely, you, you, you don't see it. So th- this is us and God. It's all, all, it's, there's nothing but God. But, but, but we can't see it. That's, that's, that's the great irony. You know, I, I once was having lunch with a friend. I said, where did you park your car? He said, across the street. I said, do you realize you can't get to your car without swimming through godliness? Right? That's, that's what it is. And all of life, everything that we do, every conversation that we have, it's an ongoing conversation with God. By the way, this is why we have so much halacha, so much Jewish law. A lot of people, they get interested in Torah, right? They go, wow, Torah's far out. It's great, you know, it's really cool. It explains everything, basically. And then, and then they go, but wait, now I've got to put tzitzis on? <laughs> you know, wait, I was getting into the ideas. Now you're telling me I can only be with my wife a certain part of the month? What's the deal with that, you know? Like, you know, all of a sudden, Torah becomes extremely detailed, you know? So it's like, I like the ideas, I don't like the other part, right? But, but let's figure out why there is so much, so much Jewish law, right? So much halacha. And the reason is because God fills the entire world. Wherever I go, whatever I do, I'm interacting with God, right? That means there's no such thing as a secular moment, there's no such thing as a secular moment in life. See, people think, okay, now it's Shabbos, now I have to be holy, right? During the week I can do whatever I want. <laughs> All right, now I have to eat. Hey, now I have to be holy, I have to eat something kosher. But when I'm not eating, I can do whatever I want, right? They divide up their life. They've got their secular moments and their religious moments, right? And the way a lot of people approach it, a lot of the religious moments are bummers. Right? Because now I have to stop being who I am and living in my own world, right? And I have to do what God says, and it's a drag, right? But this is like, this is, they, 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 they didn't get it because there wasn't a secular moment to begin with. Right? When they were supposedly living their own life, who was giving them every breath? Who was creating the world every single moment and recreating it and recreating it with them in it? Who was giving them every thought? Who is making the blood run through their body every single moment during their quote-unquote secular moment? Right? It's only God. It's all God. Okay? So then, so then the idea is, but then you say to me, well, wait a second, but so much of life is just filled with all sorts of mundane things. Aha. But that's the beauty of Torah. Because Torah is telling you that there's no such thing as a mundane thing. That every single thing, even seemingly the most inconsequential thing, can be elevated and brought to Kedusha, can be brought to holiness. The example for me, the prize example, is putting on your socks and shoes. Like, what could be more outside the bounds of Jewish law than putting on your socks and shoes? Right? Give me a break. You're going to tell me how to put on my socks and shoes? And I say back to you, this is the beauty of Torah! There's a way to put on your socks and shoes. This is, this is the greatest thing. You mean I can make that holy? You can make that holy. Well, how do I do it? I want to make everything holy. I want to make everything holy. Well, okay, I'm going to tell you. If you don't know already, you put on your right sock, and then your left sock, your right shoe, and then your left shoe, and then the order switches, you tie your left shoe, and then you tie your right shoe. Okay? 
Right sock, left sock, right shoe, left shoe, tie your left shoe, you tie your right shoe. And to me, that's the, that's the essence of the beauty of understanding the all-encompassingness of God. Okay. And what all that leads to is something which is the prized attribute of Torah, the prized attribute of living in this world. It's called dveikus. That means cleaving to Hashem. That's the goal of all of this. That's the goal of all of this, is that we create and we foster and we nurture and we participate in this intimate relationship with God where all of our actions are cleaving to Him. Right? You see, and, and I mention it a lot, but, but you, you understand it in this context. We've got a lot of paradigms in terms of our relationship with God. There's parent-child, there's master-servant, right? But there's also the Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs model, which is two lovers. And that's, that's this notion of your, your cleaving. You're cleaving with all of your actions. And you're in this beautiful, beautiful relationship. That's the Torah model. That's what we're going for. That's what we're going for. Okay. So, so what's the problem? What's the problem? Let's get back to the Pasuk so that we understand what we're talking about here. It says, anochi. See the Anochi. God is saying, see me. See me. Right? So we talked about how hard it is because it's sort of like he's everywhere and seemingly he's nowhere. Okay. So that's one problem. Just to see in everything that we do, even in the smallest things, the opportunity to cleave to him. Okay, good. But what's the problem? Anochi also means I, as in me. Not as in God, as in me. Okay? And a lot of times what happens is we see ourselves. And oftentimes how we feel about ourselves is how we feel about God. We project our own feelings about ourselves onto God. So when it says, now understand the depths of this, when it says, Re'ei Anochi, see the eye, a lot of times we take a short stop. We make a little detour. You want to go to the market? Will you go to the market to get some eggs for me? Absolutely. You know, I'm just going to make a quick stop and um, go to Vegas first. But wait a second. The market's on the corner. Vegas is five hours away. I know. Let me just go to the Vegas first. <laughs> Gamble the rent money for this one. <laughs> then I'll pick up the eggs and get back to you. But no. The market's on the corner. I, you still have the money in your pocket. I just need you to go to the corner to get the eggs and bring them home. Absolutely. Right after Vegas. You see, God says, Re'e Anochi, see the eye of me, and we go, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to make a pit stop, I'm going to see the eye of myself first. And then, after I visit the eye of myself, then I'll see the eye of you. But what's the problem? Now the eye of God has completely been colored through the eye of ourself. I'm saying I, as in the letter I, not E-Y-E. 
You know, but it's the, they overlap. It's interesting because re'e, how do you see re'e? This is on the English level, but you see with your eyes, the eye and the eye, you know? But anyway, that aside, so we make this pit stop. We filter our understanding of God and how we see God is very, very, very often how we see ourselves. How we feel about ourselves is how we see God. Now, what this means is that life is a Rorschach test. So, those of you um, who are unfamiliar with that is, that's a very, very famous, uh, widely used psychological exam. And what they do is they put ink blots that aren't in any shape. They're just kind of ink blots in front of people on a card. And, they, and the doctor says, what do you see in this ink blot? And what you're thinking about in your mind is what you see on the card. And the way this was developed, it was developed by a Dr. Rorschach who would walk on the grounds of the, of, the, of the institution with his patients and he would point to the clouds. And he noticed that there was a very strong correlation between the way the, what the patients saw in the clouds and how they were feeling at the moment. And so he institutionalized this and made it a, 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 an exam and a cordon all over the world and it's used all the time. But you have to understand that life itself is a Rorschach test. How you feel about what's going on in the world is often a reflection of how you feel about yourself. So it's very, 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 very important to have a healthy, positive feeling about yourself. Because if you don't, you're going to see the world And the world, let's face it, under the best of circumstances, is a very mysterious place. That's under the best of circumstances. There's nothing definitive going on, okay? In terms of our ability to really kind of pinpoint where all of our projects and all of our dreams and all of our kind of like things are at any given moment. There's so much speculation involved in terms of assessing where we're at and where everything is at all the time. See, this goes back to what I was saying before, that you can't understand what the Torah is saying unless you fix your own personality. Because otherwise, you know, if you're a mean person and, and the Torah talks about some sort of punishment that happens, you're going, yeah, right? That's right. That guy's got that coming. Because what is he doing doing that for? Right? It's like, What? That's, that's your view of that passage in the Torah that this person gets punished oh I can't wait oh, what it's, it's weird it's weird you know so so we have to rectify the eye the anochi because we're filtering the eye of Hashem our understanding of Hashem through our own understanding of ourselves. Right? That's, 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 that's what it is. So it's essential. It's essential. A person has to have good self-esteem. And, um, you know, another talk, if you want to hear it, we talked about this recently, it's called I'm calling it, Do You Value Yourself? It's, it's on the Torah on iTunes site. That just kind of will help you get a better understanding of your, your importance. 
people are very, 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 very important. You know, you know, it's. You see, there there are a million ways to say it, but I I, I just put it this way. Imagine who you who you feel is the most exalted person in your field or or in the world to you, human being, who you would be so greatly honored to, to, to get a call from, to be invited onto a project with. You know? Maybe it's the maybe it's the President of the United States. You know, or, or, or maybe it's it's James Cameron, you know, who's directing a movie and wants you by his side for all the shots. You know, or maybe who whatever it is, in every field there's that there's that great person, right? You know, Warren Buffett is like, you know, coming up with a new, like, analog for, you know, analyzing, you know, stock fluctuations. And he wants you next to him, right? While he figures it out. Whatever it is. But you see, whatever name you come up with, there is no bigger name than God himself. And God actually invited every single one here in the world to be his partner and to work with him in terms of the perfection of the world. There is no greater there is no greater validation of what a human being is than the very fact that God and then and then it's even more and then God said, "You know how much I love you?" You know a lot of people, you know, when I first came out to to, to Hollywood, they said that, you know, Hollywood's a pretty weird place. It's the it's the only place where someone can starve from encouragement. And what that means is, is that like, people don't like to say no to people out here so much, even if they don't like their work. So they go, yeah, it's good, it's good. Meanwhile, where's the check? <laughs> you know, there's, I quickly learned that there are two types of compliments that you get out here. Those connected with checks and those not connected with checks. <laughs> so God actually gives us the check. You know what the check is? Our own soul. God puts a piece of himself in us. Now you can't, you can't ask for a bigger validation than the fact that you've been capitalized by God. God has invested his cash, so to speak, in your enterprise. And created you. You're a storefront with his capital in it. And he tells you, do some business. Get out there. Say hello to people. Smile. Do some mitzvahs. Right? It's a big deal. It's not a small thing. It's a very... This is, this is everything, basically. Okay. So, so, I want to go further. I want to go further. And I want to discuss some tools in terms of rectifying the eye of Anochi. Because again, we said the following. God says, see me. Re'e Anochi. See me. See I. The eye of Anochi. Right? But the problem is, the challenge is, is that we take a little shortcut to the eye, the Anochi of ourselves. And then we see God through the eye of ourselves. Okay? So how can we make sure that the eye of ourselves is in a good place? So, so let's, let's, let's get into that a little bit. So I just want to share with you something. We were talking about it on Shabbos a little bit. 
And um, and uh, I had a I had a question from for many many years on a a certain teaching, and just just uh, the other day I got an answer, and I was very happy with this answer. So so it says the following: It says that when when Hashem created Adam, when He created the very first person, He created him and put him in the Garden of Eden. And there's zillions of teachings on this, and every one of them is beautiful. And the rabbis teach that the very, very first thing that Adam Harishon did, the very first human being did, was he prayed, and he prayed for rain, and rain came down, and then the, the Garden of Eden turned green, basically. Right? So, this awesome thing. Let me just pause for one moment, because... Because that's such a fundamental thing. Let's just let's just understand just just how awesome that is, basically. Before we get to the point I wanted to make, that means the very introduction of humanity into this world, right? Because this is the very first moment of a human being's life in this world, and we know in Torah beginnings are very important. Beginnings are like the DNA of like everything. Everything is contained in the beginning. Okay. So the first moment of a human being's existence is going to tell us enormous things about what it means to be alive in this world, right? So let's revisit this. The very first thing the human being does is pray, and then God answers his prayer. Which means the very first thing that God is telling us is, connect to me, you're here to connect to me, and I listen to you. I listen to you. So that's that's huge. That's huge. So my question was, one more thing. I saw recently in, in one of the transcripts something that Rip Shlomo Karlbach said that I thought it's an application of this. He put two things together that that I that I want to share with you. He says, in child rearing, you see, if you're just telling a child and you're trying to bring them up in, a, in, a, in the Torah way and, 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 and instruct them in, in, in proper behavior, if you just say, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, at a certain period, the child wants to just check out. Right? But if you say, do this, don't do this, and also, God listens to you. <laughs> and God hears you. Then all of a sudden, God, the, the, the child says, God, God listens to me. You see, then you understand that you're in a two-way relationship. You're not just being put into this program that you didn't sign up for, seemingly, and being ordered around. Right? Because a child intuitively understands that there's something wrong with that. If that's the system, there's something wrong with that. But you see here that the very first exposure of a human being in this world is that they reach out to God and that God responds to them. And it wasn't like a one-time thing. That's God telling us that that's the fundamental essence of what it means to be alive in this world. So you say, well, I pray all the time and God isn't answering my prayer. All right, God is answering your prayer. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Maybe it's no. 
Let's say not yet for now. I know in my own life, there was a several year period where I was dying to get married. I wanted to get married so badly. Couldn't meet, you know, I was meeting people, but I just, I wasn't meeting my wife. It was terrible. It was tearing me up. And, uh, and then I met her, thank God. And I look back on that period in my life, I say, if I had married someone, it would have been a disaster. It would have been a disaster. I absolutely was not ready to get married at that point. As much as I wanted to. As much as I wanted to. And you know, I'll just throw in one more thing about marriage. It's all another topic, but it's just something I've been thinking about. And I just saw it confirmed. I, I saw it independently that Reb Shlomo said something very, very similar. So I'll just throw it out while we're on the subject. Which is, you know, I think a lot of people want to get married, but they don't want to be married. <laughs> And I think that that's something that people really have to understand. Because marriage isn't getting to the chuppah. That's the smallest part of marriage. But people who aren't married and want to get married, that's, to them, that's the finish line. To them, the finish line is, let me just get to the chuppah, please, God. You know? But, but what a lot of people don't understand is that's not, that's not it. That's just the very, 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 very beginning. And then marriage is really this, you know, this, 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 this give and take and this, this, this job. It's a job. It's work. It's work. It's work. You know? And uh, that doesn't mean it's bad. But it, but it is work. It is work. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, you should know um, that the, the way the rabbis understood the mitzvah of loving your neighbor as yourself, right? That the primary realization of that is, is in a marriage relationship. In other words, the, the epitome of loving your neighbor as yourself is the husband and wife relationship. That is the main headquarters where one fulfills that mitzvah. So, that, that's, that's, again, th- these are all other topics. So, I want to get back to the Garden of Eden. I think we all do. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, uh, so, I had a question. And here's my question. How did Adam know to pray? <laughs> he's created, and he's in the Garden of Eden. And the first thing he does, we said, is pray. How did he know to pray? So, I was thinking about this. And all of a sudden it hit me. I've been asking the wrong question all these years. And um, it's going to sound like I'm switching the topic. I'm not. We're still talking about Adam and prayer. But, but in Torah, you see, we have a famous question. Which is, which came first, the chicken or the egg? So, it's a famous conundrum, because on the one hand, if you say, if you tell me it's the chicken, I'll I'll ask you, where did the chicken come from? Came from an egg. So it's so so it can't be the chicken. And if you tell me that it's the egg, I'll ask you, where did the egg come from? And you'll tell me it's the chicken. So it can't be the it can't be the egg. So if it's not the chicken and it's not the egg, but it's got to be one or the other. So which is it? And it's just an endless loop, right? 
So Torah has an answer. So the answer is, it's the chicken. Okay? And how do we know it's the chicken? Because when God created the world, he created it in its fullest, most realized state. Okay? Another giant aside, but we'll try to make it in one second. The Medrash says that when God created Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, they were 20 years old. But at the same time, they were created as 20-year-olds. So they were one second old, but they were 20-year-olds. Okay? You follow? Okay? So if that's the case, you know, people want to know, understand, what's the age of the universe? If God created Adam and Chava as 20-year-olds, even though they were only one second old, why couldn't God have created a universe that's billions of years old? Okay? So, again, it's a larger question, but just an idea to think about. Okay? So, so God created the world in its most realized, in its most realized state. That's why he created the chicken first, because that was full adulthood, full strength. Okay, fine. Now let's apply this back to Adam. So how did Adam know to pray as soon as he was created? So that's the wrong question. He didn't have to think to pray. He was created in his most realized state, which was with an open heart in the state of prayer. You see, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. So, for us, we have to figure out to pray. Hey, everything's falling apart. What do I do? I don't know. I've run out of options. Pray! Yes, of course. Why didn't I think of that sooner? Pray! But for Adam, he didn't have to arrive at that thought. You see how, and I'm accusing you of this, but I'm the one who is doing this. See how you project your own state onto other people. Adam didn't have to arrive at prayer. I have to arrive at figuring out how to pray. Right? So I figure, well, that's what's going on with me. That must have been going on with him. How did he do it? You see? But you see how the, by filtering things through the anochi, right, your own self, can then cause you to see things in a twisted way. But the reality is, is that he had an open heart already. He was already praying. He was born praying. And you see, you have to understand, the rabbis teach, I think it's Rav, Kohn, uh, Rav Kook, rather, or maybe it's Tzadok Akon, I'm not sure. But the point is that um, he says that the soul is always praying. That the soul is in a constant state of prayer. Our souls right now are all praying. And it makes sense. If it's a piece of God and, you know, the soul is cleaving to God at, at all times. You know, the body kind of gets in the way and the body has its say and whatever. But, but the soul is always praying. So if, if, if that's the case with us even now, how much more so Adam when, when he was first created? And with that open heart, because that's the fully realized state of a human being, an open heart. Okay. So, so we still have to rectify the eye. We still have to get our eye in a good place.
And uh, the way I understand the Ramban is that basically when we ate from the tree of knowledge, we separated our minds and our hearts. That was the first primary disconnect of what happened. Our minds and our hearts kind of just kind of became separate entities within us, right? And uh, this is where the problems start. This is where the problems start, because then we start seeing the world in a really weird way, okay? And, uh, and, but, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so I'd like to suggest that the Pusik recommends an approach. So let's revisit it, okay? It's uh, the beginning of Parshish Ray. This is, uh, if you want to look it up, it's uh, chapter 11, verse 26 of Devarim. It says, Re'e anochi nosein lefnechem hayom. Rachel klawa. See that I am putting before you today. So, so today is the fixing. Today is the fixing. You see, you know, what is, what is, what is the future? The future is a series of moments that have just never happened before. You know, there used to be something called monolithic communism, a theory of monolithic communism. You know what that meant? That meant that China and Russia were in lockstep with each other. And we didn't know because they were both communist superpowers and we were on the other side. We figured they must be in cahoots with each other. Meanwhile, we find out after the fact they hated each other and they were great rivals. But from the outside, we figured because they had the same system, right, that they were one giant block, you know, poised against us. Then we found out, oh, it's not the case. It's not the case. When you're on the outside of something, you tend to see all the forces that are aligned against you as in cahoots with each other against you. But oftentimes, they've got no relationship with each other. We tend to think of the monolithic future, (laughs) that the future itself is one solid block, and it's either going to work out for us or it's not going to work out for us, because that's the future, right? But what is the future? The future is a series of individual moments that haven't arrived yet. That's all the future is. That's all the future is. And in each moment of the future, we have a unique ability to uniquely utilize it in a unique way. Just like that moment has never come into the world before, ever. We have the ability to access it in a new way. You know, someone, someone wrote to me a little while ago and said, you know, I'm, I'm going and I'm visiting these people and whenever I see them, we, we always fight and it's always terrible. And I wrote him back. I said, you know something? This time, try something different. And he wrote back. He said, okay, I'm going to try. And then he said, it was good advice. <laughs> right? 
try something different. If what hasn't been working isn't working, try something different. Now, sometimes you have to stay with the plan, but sometimes not. So this is when you have to get someone who you trust and who's smart, and you sit down with them and you say, well, look, this is what I've been doing. What do you think of this approach? And they'll say to you, you know something? I like this part of the approach, but I think you should change that part of the approach. You have to get some feedback with this. Some things can change. Some things can... You don't have to throw everything out, necessarily. Sometimes a little adjust is a big adjust. Okay? Now, I want to... I want to just try to explain this idea of the future another way. It's really one of my favorite examples. You see, when when you draw a line, imagine take a pencil and you draw a straight line with the pencil. So I remember learning in math class when I was a kid that this solid line, as much as it looks like a solid line, geometrically speaking, is not actually solid. It's composed of an infinite number of individual dots. Okay? Which means as much as it looks like it's a solid, like an, like an, a, a, a total... Um, discrete entity unto itself, that's not the truth of its actual composition. They're individual dots very closely positioned to each other. This is time. This is time. Life presents itself, the future presents itself, a day presents itself as just as a block Right? And then if I go the wrong path, well, I'm already on that path. I've entered into that path and it's a solid and now I'm, so to speak, trapped in that path. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's individual moments. All of life is individual moments. And let's say you're going in the wrong direction. I'm on a diet. I, 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 I'm on a diet and, and, and now I'm walking toward the refrigerator. Well, I'm walking toward the refrigerator. I guess I'm going to have to finish that entire pint of ice cream. Because <laughs> I'm walking toward the refrigerator. Right? So I already lost. You didn't. Yeah, those two steps toward the refrigerator. That, that was the beginning. But, but the next moment in time has no relationship with the previous moments in time. Okay, now I'm walking, now I'm walking toward the carrots. Right? Because you can, if everything is an individual point, you can access that single point from any direction. So, so just because that point is there, that means I have to go to the, the point pointing in the same direction, the next point. I can go left or right. I don't have to go forward. So this gives us a lot of power. To understand, this gives us a lot of power because you have the ability to decide what direction you're going in. And you can choose it. You know, I, I, I want to tell you something. i tell you something. It was very insulting that... I, I, I experienced it as, a, as an insult when it was said to me. I was younger and I, I started going... Uh, I remember it was, it was when I first started going to, to Minyan in the morning on a, on, a, on a daily basis, and there was a rabbi there, perfectly fine person, 
and he invited me to a uh, to a Talmud class, right? And I didn't want to go to his Talmud class. That, that was the bottom line. I didn't want to go. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to go to every class that someone tells you about. Um, so he decided that I didn't want to go to his class because I was too intimidated by the, 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 the level of the class, that it was too advanced for me. And he, you know, rightly assumed that I was new to the system and I was just not up to the task of, of his class. Okay, fine. That was his conclusion. So he said to me, because he was troubled by the fact that I told him that I, I wasn't going to attend his class. And I didn't say it in a disrespectful way. But he was troubled by the fact that I didn't want to go to his class. And he said to me, are you going to be a Baal Tshuva for the rest of your life? Meaning someone, you know, so to speak, new to the system for the rest of your life? Is this, you're just going to hold on to this and, and never grow in Torah, basically? So like I say, I was insulted. <laughs> I didn't say anything to him. You know, I didn't say anything to him. But I was insulted that, that that's what he thought was going on and that, that he said that to me. But I have to thank him. Because he made a very, very good point, And I want to use that point in a different way uh, right now. Which is that because the future is unwritten... By the way, I think that's a lyric from a Clash song. <laughs> because of, it's at least a t-shirt that they put out. But because the future is unwritten, um, if we decide that we're going to go through life as the child who never got any love, or the kid in high school who was never invited to any of the cool parties, or the person who, you know, was never good enough to make the, the, the basketball team or the cheerleading squad, a lot of us decide to hold on to this identity or to this childhood trauma and, you know, consciously or unconsciously, we decide that we're going to go through life as that person. It's, don't, just don't, let it go, man. Just let it go. Let it go. It was a bummer when it happened. I get it. I'm not minimizing it. It was a bummer. Let it go. It's not you. And you are making a conscious decision at this point to hold on to that and to stay that person and to filter your life circumstances and perceptions through that self-image. So let it go. Let it go. It's not helping. It's not helping. It's not, like, it's not making your life better. So you go, well, then wait a second. Then... At least if I'm the kid who didn't make the team, then when I get rejected again in my present life, then I, I already have a, my rejection box and it's like it's all nice and it's all, you know, beautifully decorated and I can just put it on the shelf with all the others. Otherwise, I have to newly experience rejection and I don't want to do that. Well, you know something? If someone doesn't want you, that's their problem. And you don't want someone who doesn't want you anyway. Right? I remember, I was talking with this, this guy in high school. He was like the golden boy of high school. He was like an athlete, and he was good-looking and everything like that. I remember we were talking, and we were young. We were something like 14 or 15. And I asked him, what kind of girls do you like? And he said, I like the kind of girl who likes me. <laughs> and I thought, you know, 
I never forgot that, you know? And that's, that's good. You know, it's good to be in a relationship with someone who actually likes you. <laughs> it's very, very helpful. <laughs> I recommend it. But at the same time, you want a little bit more than just someone who likes you. You want to be able to have a life with them and someone who, who, who you like as well. You know? So, you know, you have to give yourself a little bit of, of, of you know, input and importance in the relationship. So, so I'll just close with this. Um, anyone listening on a tape right now might have a little trouble picturing this, but I just want to, I'll try to describe it as I'm doing it, but just leave with this thought. You see, the future, the Hayom, is, is this area in front of us. Right? Imagine you're standing in a place and the future is that area facing in front of you. And you have to open yourself up to the future. To the uniqueness of it. To the fact that it's not connected. It's like that line. It appears as a solid mass, but it's not. It's fluid. And you have to open yourself up to the future and you have to feel good about yourself because you're going to be filtering your understanding of God in the universe through your own self-image. So you have to make sure you feel good at an open heart. You know, people talk about getting rid of ego. That doesn't mean feel bad about yourself. It just means don't ascribe power to yourself that you don't have. That's all. That's all it means, ego, when it's used in a negative way. That's all that means. Just don't ascribe power to yourself that you don't have. That's all. Okay. So you have to walk forward in life. The Hayom is the fixing. The now, the future, the today. That empowerment that comes. The fact that this moment has never existed before and that blessings are coming down from heaven all of the time. All of the time. Open yourselves up to that. Walk forward into the future. That's the great fixing. That's the great healing. That's the great hope for humanity. Because a future is coming. A future is coming. A perfected future is coming. Okay? Now, what do most people do? They turn their back to the future. And they walk backwards into the future. (laughs) So just to illustrate that, if this is the future, if that's the future... What people do is they turn their back to the future and they walk into the future this way, just carrying their past with them. And they don't have vessels to receive the new moment because they're a prisoner to their past and they're just ushering their past into the future. And uh, so turn around, just turn around. Just turn around and just walk bravely into the future, basically, with an open heart and with the knowledge that that you can do it and that it's good right now. Doesn't mean it's not hard right now. Doesn't mean it's not hard right now. But it's good right now. It's good right now. Okay.